One of the great joys of living in Florida is the beauty of the world around us. Our ecosystem is so unique, so layered in so many ways, that one does not need to go far to find something completely stunning. Our forests, our beaches, our swamps, our lakes, all overflowing with the natural splendor of this peninsula. I find myself in these increasingly warm months, enjoying my drive through the backcountry roads near my home, where farms and forest run together, leaves and vines hanging overhead and water trickling along the side of the road. Even when the summer heat is overbearing, it can feel nice to be out there, breathing in Florida's peculiar air and taking in all the sights before me. But there's one element of Florida nature I feel is overlooked, especially when it comes to its beauty. That is, the sky. Don't get me wrong, we are certainly known for our sunsets, but I don't think the congruence of sky, land, and sea is appreciated enough when we talk about the vignettes you can find throughout the year. When the blue of the sky is blue, very blue, and the trees are almost glowing green, it just feels energizing. When the sun is low and the light pouring through windows shifts from a calm white to a blinding gold, nowhere can hide from the effect. Even when a storm is coming in and gray and black mix in with the blue and white, the swirl of weather creates a genuine tapestry. It's hard to capture, especially on a little iPhone, and even harder to take in with your own eyes. Pictures don't do it justice and even your memory fades. My words also don't get us close enough to appreciating the marvel of Florida's beautiful skies. But there is, in some ways, a solution. When one is looking to see Florida nature accurately reproduced, including the marvel of our horizons, there is nowhere better to turn to than Florida's very own highwaymen. If you don't know them by their name, you certainly know them by their work. Their art is distinct and varied, but specific. I can't quite recall when I saw my first Highwaymen painting, but it would be absurd to guess. They're part of life, part of our character. You can find them in city halls, in museums, in libraries. Some are in private collections, hanging on the walls of people's homes, and some travel in groups from museum to museum across the state. The collection of paintings attributed to the Highwaymen share a few distinct characteristics. By appearance, the most notable factor is that they're all landscape portraits of Florida nature. They are palm trees, birds, mangroves, alligators, water of all variety, and most importantly, sky. Search for the Florida Highwaymen and you'll find a collection of art that captures, in all its various pieces, the wide array of sights you can find throughout the natural corridors of our state. They are unparalleled in their ability to capture the character of Florida nature perfectly. The Highwaymen is in fact a group title for 26 individual artists. They were mostly men, only one woman was ever part of their semi-official ranks. They worked prominently through the 1950s and 60s. All of the Highwaymen were black, and due to the segregated rules in place at the time, they were unable to sell or display their pieces in art galleries. Because of this, they made up their own rules for how to sell and distribute their work. Many would go door to door selling their pieces to interested buyers. Others would simply pop the trunk of their car open on the side of the road and sell their pieces that way. Most of the artists were self-taught or taught by one of the founding members, either Alfred Hare or Harold Newton. Some of the highwaymen would mimic styles from one another, passing techniques, using their quick skills to produce dozens of paintings, sometimes in a day, bringing out a new batch to sell to interested buyers as soon as possible. 
These paintings were done quickly, but they don't look it. They are rich and full, detailed and dynamic, colorful and explosive. I've had the pleasure of seeing many hung in museums, standing before them, just marveling at their beauty. My eyes go as wide as I possibly can get them to absorb the full scope of what they created. They painted for decades, though the official members would grow or dwindle over the years. Their story is one for the ages, the true artists of Florida nature, one that certainly deserves their own episodes. I need to go more in depth with them in the future, but for now, you need to know this. The Highwaymen redefined how we view Florida. Late last year, I stumbled upon a wonderful find in the back shelves of Maya Books and Music along 1st Street in Sanford. It's a collection of paintings by those highwaymen founding fathers, Newton and Hare. The book itself is wide, not a traditional book layout. It's landscape, not portrait, if you know what I mean. But that's for good reason. It includes gorgeous, full-color prints of their art. I love all the highwaymen paintings, but the ones that really blow me away are the portraits of sunsets. Often with a scattering of palms in the foreground and perhaps a few egrets, the sunset portraits are vibrant. They often include clouds creating these streaks of orange or yellow in the pink and purple skies. One by Alfred Hare shows the sky yellow along the horizon, orangey pink in the middle and a deep blue at the top. Another painting is dusky and yellow, clouds creating a muted hue to the landscape below. They're all splendid and quiet. You can almost hear the air and feel the heat coming off of them. If one has not seen a Florida sunset in person, they'd think the Florida highwaymen were exaggerating, oversaturating their pieces for artistic effect, but if one has seen Florida sunsets with their own eyes, the impossible light spilling out from the horizons as the earth turns out of our yellow star's gaze, they can see that the highwaymen did the impossible. Somehow, they captured our sunsets. And as summer comes into view, I figured now would be a good time for us to do the same. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week is the season 7 premiere, and to kick things off right, I want to explore one of the most essential elements of Florida summers, our sunsets. Now, I know what you're thinking, because many friends have asked me the same question. What is there to be learned about a sunset? Isn't it merely the earth rotating on its axis and the sun disappearing beyond the horizon? Well, yes, that is literally what a sunset is, but I'm talking about something bigger than that. Why does the sky explode into color when the sun fades away? Why are some sunsets better than others? Well, luckily, for you and for me, I found just the person to answer all those questions and start this season of Wait 5 Minutes right. We will get to my guest this week in just a moment, but before we do, I have a very special announcement to make. This season of Wait 5 Minutes is sponsored. This episode of Wait 5 Minutes is sponsored by A Trombo Creative. A Trombo Creative is owned and operated by my dear friend of over a decade, Annie. Annie has been designing and costuming professionally for six years and even did costumes for yours truly throughout my years in theater. Through close collaboration, cohesive design, and hands-on fittings, together you and Annie can create the perfect costume for your production, cosplay, special event, or photo shoot. She turns your ideas and inspirations into a wearable reality. You can check out more of her work on Instagram at atrombo.creative, and you can book your appointment at her website, atrombocreative.com. 
www.ashleyhoffman.com. There are links to both of those in the description of this episode. Thank you to A Trombo Creative for sponsoring this episode. I have another special announcement to get into real quick. If you are looking to show your Florida pride or even your status as a Wait 5 Minutes fan, there is now WFM merchandise. Head to Cast and Clay on Etsy from the link in the description and pick up some Wait 5 Minutes stickers now. I'll tell you more about that in the final credits. All right, on to my guest this week. His name is Steve Corfidi. My name is Steve Corfidi, and I work as a research associate for the Cooperative Institute for Mesoscale Meteorological Studies. It's a mouthful, but uh, basically uh, it's with the University of Oklahoma, and I also serve as an adjunct instructor for uh, Penn State's online uh, meteorology program. Steve lives in Oklahoma and has been working in meteorology for decades. He was majorly involved in the National Storm Prediction Center for years, a group that many Floridians know very well. Long before he got that job, however, he was wondering how the sky worked. Well, I was interested in weather since uh, as a kid, it, it always fascinated me how the sky changed from day to day, and in particular, uh, when when the ground was wet, uh, my mom was uh, kind of like real fastidious, couldn't go outside and get the feet wet um, <laughs> out in the yard. She wanted everything to be clean. So uh, basically you couldn't play as much outside when it was raining or when the grass was wet. So it occurred to me that sometimes uh, you could kind of tell whether it was going to rain uh, the next day by, by the changes in the sky and clouds. So uh, that kind of just blossomed, I guess, into a, uh, <laughs> a career. Like I said, Floridians depend on the work that Steve did for a large portion of his career. But as fascinated as I am with storms and how they are predicted, it's Steve's more recent work that brought me to this phone call. A couple years ago, Steve wrote a paper on the colors found at sunset. He's actually returned to it several times over the last several decades, but his paper from September of 2020 is the one I was most fascinated by. Why, I ask, was he drawn to the subject of sunsets in the first place? Well, it's kind of an interesting, uh, at least to me, uh, topic. The, um, you know, if you look at an elementary weather book, meteorology text, there's just a lot of, uh, let's just say, slightly, to be nice about it, misinformation that's uh, perpetuated and, and not out of any any reason of malice or for any reason on purpose, but... <laughs> But uh, it, you'll see a lot of over-references, to just for example, that, that dust creates beautiful sunsets and that, uh, you know, the more junk that's in the atmosphere, the prettier the sunsets will be. And from my experience in growing up, actually, the counter to that was true. I grew up uh, in Baltimore, and uh, the, the prettiest sunsets, uh, it, depending on how you define pretty or beautiful um the most colorful vibrantly vivid uh, you know spectrally pure oranges and reds looks like something uh, you know out of a uh, paint palette somewhere um those real bright vivid oranges and reds were on days when the atmosphere was very transparent and clean the air you know, a lot of times was following the passage of a strong frontal system so um and then recently say it rained and then you get these very spectacular sunset colors in contrast to what the textbooks would often say that you know the dust particularly they would say things like volcanic dust or you know, the smoke would uh, create beautiful sunset colors and it's like this doesn't quite make sense so um that that was kind of my entry into this uh it's like well what, what really is going on here 
I've heard this theory too, though I presume it's more prominent in dustier climates such as deserts or tundra further west or north of us here in Florida. As Steve said, there's no conspiratorial reason that this explanation got passed around that dust made more vibrant sunsets. It was just an idea that has been floating around for a while. You sound smart when you say it, even though it isn't necessarily true. You can be out on the beach watching a sunset and go, ah, oh, there's, there's more dust in the air. That's why the sunset looks like that. It, it certainly sounds like you know what you're talking about, but it isn't exactly true. There's all sorts of particles in the air that people say has a positive effect on the aesthetic of sunsets. Dust, haze, smoke, etc. Steve kept searching and found the same idea repeated again and again. If it's not accurate though, why has it never been corrected? Steve reminds me that even though we are sitting down to talk about sunsets, for most meteorologists, the cause of pretty colors in the sky is just not a priority. I think one reason is simply that in most people's eyes, particularly from a meteorological standpoint, that you know sunsets are pretty, but they're not uh, central to the, the well-being of humans, and right. the, you know whether or not a tornado is going to strike your house or not tonight. So uh, you know it's kind of one of these topics. It's nice to know about, but nobody put a lot of emphasis on it. And then also number two, just like anything else, you know when you get a truism or something that's repeated. Um, that may not necessarily be 100% true, there is some truth to it. And indeed, the fact remains that a certain amount of dust or particles is necessary to produce the vivid reddening that we do see and you know come to associate with it with a pretty sunset. The question is, again, the, 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 the amount of that dust that's necessary, given our current, you know, the Earth's atmospheric depth and, and density. And, um, you know, whether or not adding more in the lower levels, which is where we all live and which is where, you know, we're viewing the sunsets from, right. um, low sun colors from, do they add to that redness to the extent that, you know, it's going to really strike your eye or do they actually attenuate or absorb some of that light? And the fact is they actually do the latter. Alright, if you're a little lost here, that's totally fine. The atmosphere, the air within it, and the particles that float therein are complicated ideas. There is so much that goes into the air around us, for our purposes we need to simplify things. There is air in the atmosphere, it's mostly composed of nitrogen, about 21% oxygen, and then scattered tiny percentages of other types of air. Then floating in that air are particles. When we're talking about particles, we're talking about more solid stuff. Microscopic dust, sand, haze, smoke, dark physical stuff that actually blocks the light, physically blocks the light. If you've ever seen a forest fire or even a controlled burn, you can see that when the dark smoke fills the sky, the light coming down is dampened and it creates this muted color over the land below. In fact, one time on a trip to WMFE to chat with our friend Brendan Byrne a few years ago, a massive fire was burning over Orlando and the sky was an ominous yellow all day. It's certainly colorful in a sense, but its light isn't saturated. I use the word filtered to describe it, and Steve confirms that's accurate. It's like a filter. The light is more deadened when there are particles in the air because, of course, light is simply being blocked by the solid substance. The light is being trapped color that you see in the sky and i mentioned is due to scattering and the only thing scattering is just a fancy word basically for reflection or redirection of light and scattering when a, when a beam of light 
a photon, if you will, strikes an object, there's two things that can happen. The object can either absorb that radiation, light is a form of radiation, or it can scatter it or redirect it. And I was getting at with dust particles, which are relatively large compared to the, 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 the wavelength of the light from, sun, from the sun, the large particles absorb and therefore attenuate. If you, if you put up, just imagine smoke, if you take a lar- bunch of large particles, smoke particles compared to light wavelengths are large. So if you place them between you and the source of light, say the sun, um, it's going to attenuate or diminish the sun because it actually, the, the, the radiation is actually absorbed by the particles. This is due to a process called scattering. You actually experience scattering more than you realize. The color of the sky all day is, in fact, related to scattering. You know, the whole concept of why the sky is blue during the day, mostly blue, and um, tends to be reddish toward sunrise or sunset. And just backing up just a second, going back, you know, to your question about why... um, you know, people perpetuated these truisms, you know, it was relatively late. It was in basically the late 1800s when people finally figured out, scientists finally figured out why the sky was blue. There were a lot of alternative um, ideas that were patently wrong, incorrect, well considered, but wrong. And it wasn't until the late 1800s that the, the effects of scattering of light encountering small particles, particularly particles that are much smaller than the wavelength of the light itself, came to be appreciated. So you're talking about a relatively recent understanding. We are still, in many ways, in the early years of understanding the very concept of the sky itself. The problem with the way people originally conceived of the color of the sky is this. They treated the sky kind of like an object. So a lemon, for example, is yellow, right? That's because when light strikes a lemon, all other colors in the visual spectrum are absorbed except for the color yellow, which reflects back to our eyes, thus a yellow lemon. But the sky is not inherently blue. The sky is moving light from the sun through its various assorted processes, and the end result is the color blue striking our eyes. Trippy, isn't it? Well, that is because of scattering. Distilled to a nutshell, the scattering, we keep, the term we keep throwing around again, is just the redirection of light, incoming radiation, which is what light is to radiation, by small particles. Now, the question is how small? Again, the wavelength of light is on the order of a, a millionth of a meter, 10 to the minus six or seventh of a meter. Wow. But that is a thousand times larger than the size of a typical molecule, an air molecule. Again, our brain cannot fathom how small that is. A wavelength of light is impossibly small, and a water or air molecule is a thousand times smaller than that. So to summarize, as simply as possible, a very small wavelength of light strikes a very, very, very small molecule in the sky. From that, we get colors through an effect called light scattering. It's because of that effect that the sky looks blue. And so if the sun is shi- sunlight is shining on a typical atmosphere, clear air, you're going to see blue predominantly because mostly the blue is what is being scattered out of that incoming beam. And therefore, during the day, the sky looks bluish because that is what is preferentially being scattered out. Now, it's not pure. 
Even though it looks like the purest blue sky, and you'll see people, you know, talk about truisms, you'll see that it was the purest of blue skies. <laughs> well, actually, take a spectrometer, you'll see it. You know, there's you can easily look this up, uh, you know, in a textbook or online. Um, the peak may be in the the bluish area, but there's a lot of red and orange and yellow light, green light, also there. It's just the peak is what you see as or perceive as being blue light but it's not spectrally pure um and our eyes are more sensitive in the green spectrum so that's why we tend to see you know the sky is blue say rather than purple okay so there's all these colors in the sky but it appears mostly blue because it is mostly blue and our eyes see the color blue better but why does the sky change colors when the sun is setting? Well, the reason the sky is blue and not another shade is because of the thickness of the atmosphere overhead, the amount of air and stuff between the sun above and our eyes. So when the sun slips closer to the horizon, there is in fact more atmosphere between the sun and us where we are viewing the sunset, which adds even more scattering to the sunlight, breaking up the colors even more. And it's because of that filtering effect of the atmosphere. And the longer that path length through the atmosphere, the greater that filtering effect adds up. And again, it's just a function of our the depth of the atmosphere on planet Earth. If the atmosphere were deeper, denser, you wouldn't see that coloration as well. If it were thinner, the opposite would be true. You'd see a darker blue sky above, but um, you know the, the colors would be tended to be different at, at sunset because there wouldn't be as much to uh, a path length to filter. There is literally more stuff between the sun and your eye when the sun sets. Therefore, the color you see is deeper. And so your filtering effects, like having a thicker, if you imagine a thick filter glass, you know, like the, in, in the old camera days, you used to use red filters and blue filters for achieving different effects um you know in, in, in film photography the same sort of thing you put a, a, a you're putting a thicker filter between you and the source of light exactly and, and it turns out it's about 40 times when the sun's right at the at the the tangent to the, the, the horizon right at the horizon it's about 40 times what we speak of it's actually called an air mass unit and it's just a it's just a way of saying what is that length through that the light takes on its way down to the surface where you happen to be during the daytime say noon on the equator on a, you know the day when the sun's directly overhead at say at the equator that's one air mass unit the equator is where the atmosphere is the thinnest and when the sun is at noon it's shining straight down the farther away from noon the sun is, the more air mass units there are between the sun and the surface of the Earth. But on average, about 40 time, 40 of those units for between you and the source of the light, the sun, um, for the sun reaching you at sunset, it's, it's about, it ends up being about 40 times, again, given the depth of our atmosphere. Um, so that translates into a lot more filtering capability of the atmosphere so it's just like putting a, a thicker filter it's like snapping on a red filter you know when the sun gets low versus not having that filter on when the sun's directly overhead it's 40 times more filtering ability of that molecular scattering that selective scattering and selective scattering just means that the scattering isn't the same 
across the entire spectrum right. from the purple end to the red end. It's selectively filtering out the, the lower end. So you're less likely to see colors like indigo or purple in the sunset because they have smaller wavelengths, but red, orange, and yellow have larger wavelengths, so they are able to move through the many, many air mass units between our eyes and the sun. It's why our sunsets are the way they are, and why they glow in the evening sky the way they do. The light has traveled an unfathomable distance to get here, and simply based on the movement of the Earth, has remained bright red as it arrives to our eye. I don't know about you, but I find that amazing. But there is also something very important and surprising about Florida that affects our sunsets, the plants and trees in our ecosystem. In northern ecosystems, you see a large prevalence of what is called deciduous trees. Deciduous trees commonly shed their leaves seasonally, so they react to colder weather when autumn arrives. This includes maple trees, oaks, birch, elm, and more. Florida has very few deciduous trees like this, which contributes to the quality of Florida's sunsets. The lower latitudes in particular, you're farther from sources. And, and again, a lot of the deciduous trees you know, to your north put out particles. I mean, it's just part of their, their um, nature that are hygroscopic, which just means that they adsorb or collect water molecules onto their surface. These little particles, some are known as terpenes, come out of pine trees and, and, and deciduous trees. And the net effect of those things as they swell up is to rob that uh, spectral purity that was you know, largely due to the selective scattering by the small particles, the, the molecular size particles in the air, the air molecules. Those particles are much larger. So if in Florida you get a transport in the lower atmosphere, say behind a, a weak cold front that settles southward across Florida and carries air masses that are carrying some of that particle load that they pick up, say, over the Ohio Valley or the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast and distribute or bring it down behind in the lowest layers, into North Florida, you'll see the sky isn't as blue and uh, has more of a pastel shade. So particles rise from deciduous trees in northern ecosystems and carries them on the air south and can affect our sunsets. Steve even tells me that if you are higher in the air, he says maybe 5,000 feet up, the sun may look vibrant and colorful, but the particles in the lower atmosphere that block the sunlight, they eat up the saturation and dampen the sunset. So deciduous trees literally desaturate sunsets. Air coming from the areas around Florida, such as the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean, don't have as many of these deciduous particles. And when air drifts in from the ocean, it provides vapor and less of these filtering particles. Our ocean does, in fact, create more beautiful sunsets. In my opinion, the Gulf of Mexico is the best spot for sunsets, maybe in the country, though I haven't seen many sunsets anywhere else in the country, but at least there is some science to back that opinion. And so the lower levels of the atmosphere um, are going to be cleaner in the sense that they're smaller particles, at least, that are not going to rob you of seeing those real spectrally pure colors. So Florida being surrounded basically on three sides by the ocean, um, you know, again, is relatively far removed from sources of part large particles that would tend to mute those colors. So, 
that's one reason why Florida, you know, enjoys uh, beautiful sunsets uh, even throughout the year, not just say in the in the cool season when um, you get a lot of uh, changing air masses, which tend to keep the uh, the lower atmosphere cleaner. As Steve and I reach this point in the conversation, I cannot help but marvel at everything he is seeing, not just in the incredible ways that sunlight passes through our atmosphere to create those colors, but the number of things in the world that have an impact on the sunset. The materials coming off of trees, the position of water around the state, even the season of year which affects the movement of air. You're exactly right, man. It's, the more you look again, the more of that interconnectedness that you see. <laughs> um, again, it, it, it does, it, it makes you want to be a generalist, really, because <laughs> at least begin to scratch the surface of understanding uh, what you see around you and how, how the basically the world works, you do have to be a little bit of a jack of all trades and kind of say, well, you know, I'm only interested in trees or I'm only interested in clouds. But, you know, if I really want to understand either one of those subjects better, I have to force myself to at least learn a little bit about this this stuff that's outside my own uh, area of interest or, you know, experience and uh, figure out how a little bit better how it all fits together. I think that's part of why the Highwaymen paintings are so enduring, because they show the interconnectedness of all these things, the water, the trees, the egrets, the sky, and the sun. And maybe that's why subconsciously we human beings are so attracted to sunsets. Certainly they are beautiful and colorful. On a summer evening, a sunset can take an hour, slowly shifting from blue to yellow to red until the sky is glowing, alive with light and fire, clouds and texture. In the autumn, when the sun sets quicker and the dark arrives sooner, the bursts of color behind the clouds are all the more precious. But maybe part of us is drawn to a sunset knowing that there's something bigger happening in that sky. It's not just the sky and the air between us. It's the trees, the shrubbery the water, and even the pollutants that flow through our atmosphere that aid in the creation of this tapestry, this painting, this light show. The sky, it turns out, is the best way to see the ecosystem around us. It's showing itself to us in more ways than one. It is asking us to see the whole picture, to see the contributing factors. Something big is happening in the sky every single night. All we have to do is take a moment and look up. Oh, and one last thing. Before I got off the call with Steve Corfidi, I had to inquire about that old adage about sunsets. You know the one. Red skies at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Well, it connects to what we've been talking about all episode, and there is a surprising amount of truth and science to it. To get that long expanse, I talked about that 40 air mass units, basically a very, just imagine, thousand miles or better long expanse of unadulterated or unimpeded, I should say, sunlight filtering capability to your west, Um, the longer that swath is of clear, devoid of cloud, um, the prettier, more striking the oranges and the reds are going to be. But anyway, if you're in the mid-latitudes where most of these sayings arose, particularly in Western Europe and the, you know, the Mediterranean, uh, uh, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky at morning, sailor take mor- warning. They were in the westerlies, and so if they were getting a very pretty 
red sunset, typically that meant there was about a thousand miles of clear skies to their west that, you know, given the way weather systems move, it would be unlikely that they would get at least a major storm the next day. Um, so, yes, there's there's a lot of truth to that in the mid latitudes. Now, if you're in the tropics, again, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, and so um, and it doesn't mean that you can't get a local thunderstorm. You can see, you know, a red sky at sunset and then uh, there may be some disturbance locally that's causing thunderstorms to form. And you get a thunderstorm at night, even though the sun went down with a pretty red you know, sky in, in general. That's very true. It is very true. I think Steve just proved the title of the podcast for me. Red skies in different latitudes further north than us can indicate a beautiful day ahead. But as Florida weather always manages to prove, it is a folly to try and predict it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you are here. If you're brand new to this show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some incredible stories waiting in the back catalog for you, and while I haven't done an episode about sunsets before, I've talked a lot about storms. I've got some episodes about specifically Hurricane Andrew, one of the most important hurricanes in Florida history. You can check out that and some other similar episodes in the description of the episode. Season 7 of Wait 5 Minutes is brought to you by A Trombo Creative. Turn your ideas and inspirations into a wearable reality. Go book your appointment at atrombocreative.com and thank you again to A Trombo Creative for sponsoring this episode and season of Wait 5 Minutes. If you're looking for more Wait 5 Minutes content, I have just the place for you to go. There is now a website. Go to WFMPod.com for transcripts of current episodes, additional photographs related to the stories, and photos from my trips around the state in preparing for these episodes. I'll be updating past transcripts from previous episodes over the next couple of months, so you can go back and revisit your favorite previous episodes in brand new ways. Head to WFMPod.com for more. All right, I mentioned it at the beginning, but we do now have Wait 5 Minutes merchandise. You can pick up your Wait 5 Minutes merchandise at Cast and Clay on Etsy. Cast and Clay is run by one of my best friends, Sophie Aparizio, who designed each of these stickers alongside the rest of their catalog. From the Wait 5 Minutes collection, we've got a Drink More Water sticker, a Wait 5 Minutes sticker in the shape of Florida, and a sticker featuring the show subtitle About Florida by a Floridian in a vintage citrus style. Grab them individually or as a set of three at Cast and Clay on Etsy. Head to the link in the description to pick up your WFM merch now. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps the show become more visible, and it means the world to me. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com, and you can follow my personal account on Twitter at WFMNick. I look forward to hearing from you. I'd like to give a very special thank you to Steve Corfidi. He was such a delight to talk to. We had an amazing conversation about sunsets, so much more than could fit into the episode. We had such a wonderful chat. If you want to read Steve's work, I provided that in a link. Thank you to Steve Corfidi for all of your help. All right, I will be back next Monday with a brand new episode, another exciting tale in Florida history, this time about the history of Florida's rum runners. 
I will see you next Monday with that brand new episode. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. And please, drink more water. Have a good week. See you next Monday.